question for you. How many of you use an artificial tree for Christmas? Would you raise your hand? Okay. How many of you use a real tree for Christmas? Okay. Hanging in there. Hanging in there. Uh, They both have this in common. They're coming down. If they haven't already. (laughs) The Christmas spirit can depart with the decoration. So retailers have done everything they can to keep this thing going, right? This whole Christmas idea. Christmas stores abound. Retailers promote Christmas in July with all their special bargains and sales. A Google search found this. Welcome one. Welcome all to my Christmas year-round worldwide website. Wow. Others promote collecting Christmas antiques, Christmas recipes, movies, stories to keep the magic of Christmas all year long. Does it work? Here, yeah. uh, Even the music changes real quick the next day. Back in the mid-1800s, the residents of Santa Fe, Indiana, applied to open a post office and the request was rejected since there already was another Santa Fe, Indiana. There was much debating and disputing as the residents tried to figure out a name for their new town. Now, I'm, I'm very grateful. We recently changed the name of our church, and there wasn't much debating or disputing. That's good. But in this particular case, uh, there was. And so legend has it that one Christmas Eve, while discussing several different options, uh, they were again debating and arguing. A cold December wind blew open the doors of the church where the town was meeting. And off in the distance, the sound of sleigh bells could be heard, prompting the kids to yell out, Hey, it's Santa Claus! And from that moment on, Santa Claus, Indiana, was born. Ever since the people of Santa Claus, I don't know, we've spent years of our lives in Indiana. So uh, uh, Santa Claus, Indiana is a unique place. They've done everything in their power to keep the magic of Christmas all year round. Everything is Christmas all year round in Santa Claus, Indiana. There's a thought, hmm, Christmas all year round. There's a problem with that. Have you noticed how quickly the Christmas spirit departs? And for many of us, it's already gone if it even came. And so folk that are generous and courteous in stores and on the phone and other places suddenly revert back to being selfish and obnoxious just the way they were before Christmas, right? And like New Year's resolutions, Chewie, I appreciate you mentioning that, Christmas spirit is quickly forgotten as we return to life as we know it, our usual routine. The average person keeps their New Year's resolution about 17 days. Lasting change is very difficult. So as you begin thinking about change in your life, what are some things you'd like to change? Maybe lose some weight, drink less caffeine, get more exercise, spend more time with your family, spend less time with technology, all those kinds of things that we all wrestle with. But lasting change, we know, can be very, very elusive. So what do we do with this? It's too quickly back to business as usual. So how do we think, keep things from going back to normal or, in a sense, create a new normal in our lives? Uh, we're going to be uh, coming into January uh, doing a series called Pump the Brakes. Pump the Brakes, uh, because uh, this thing is getting out of control really, really fast. 
And as we've come out of COVID and the busyness has again grabbed us, we're going to be dealing with that issue uh, in just a couple of weeks. But how do we create a new normal? Over the past two weeks, Mary has taught us to surrender our anticipation. She anticipated this life with Joseph and having kids and growing old with Joseph. And then the angel interrupts all of her plans and gives her an invitation to join him in Mission Possible. And last week, we saw how the wise man anticipated finding a king, but they ended up in a stable, right? However, even though they were in a place they never could have imagined, they worshipped. They worship even in that stinky stable stall. So, how about we look at Christmas one more time before we move on? Okay? So let's look at Christmas one more time. For me, the message of Christmas is growing clear the longer that I walk with God and the older that I get. It's becoming more and more clear. I can't help but focus forward with anticipation to the end of the story. And what's the end of the story? The end of the story is the return of Jesus Christ to the earth. It's the culmination of the Christmas story. It doesn't end in Bethlehem. No, it doesn't. The sequel is going to be far better than the original. I can assure you of that. The Bible says this. When the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 4. Another way of saying this would be, when the time was just right, God made his move. And we know that timing is everything. Jesus slipped into our human drama in the form of a helpless infant and God took upon himself toes and tonsils and became one of us. God was not late in sending his son, no. He was waiting for the right moment when the world was ready. He sent Jesus to the earth. And likewise, Jesus is coming again when the time is right And the world is ready and we're 2,000 years closer to it being ready for his return. He's coming. Since we don't know exactly when he's coming, we need to be ready, watching, waiting at all times. Jesus used these kinds of words to describe the end of the Christmas story. Be watching, be waiting. Now, of course, we can never underestimate the importance of the first coming of Christ in human history. Everything changed when Jesus came. But he didn't stay that helpless baby, did he? The Christmas story should thrill the heart of Jesus' followers. The Christmas season and the celebration of Jesus' birth is like re-watching one of my favorite movies. I don't know if you do that, but I re-watch my favorite ones. Now, I know the story by heart. I know the good guys, and I know the bad guys. I even know the ending of the story, but still the story touches me deeply every time I watch it. And same is true with the Christmas story. Some of us have been around longer than others, but each year it should touch us deeply in a new way, in a profound way, in our hearts, the fact that God has come for us. Can it get any better? Now, Jesus' coming should do more than thrill our hearts. It should be really determining the way that we use our resources of time and money, energy and in fact how we live our lives how do we know this in the new testament jesus's second coming is mentioned eight times more than his first coming so that works out mathematically to one out of every 25 verses in the new testament deals with the return of jesus to the earth do you think it's an important topic in scripture do you think it was an important topic in jesus teaching so what do we do with it 
Is it just kind of some fact that's tucked away? Or is it motivating us to live our lives a bit differently? One out of every 25 verses. It's a big deal. Here's how Peter saw it. This is where we'll be this morning. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. If your Bible or your electronic advice, device you'd like to follow along. Second Peter chapter 3. The day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live. Looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. We'll come back to that. We are looking forward to the new heavens and a new earth he has promised. A world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you're waiting for these things to happen, while you're waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. Those are profound words spoken by Peter, who would eventually be crucified, according to church tradition, head downward, believing the words that God had given him. We are looking forward anticipating this new heaven and this new earth. Now, Christmas is not just a time to look backward to Jerusalem or to Bethlehem, but forward to New Jerusalem. That's what Christmas is all about. It doesn't end in Bethlehem. It ends in New Jerusalem, the home of those who call themselves Jesus' followers. And we wait. We wait, though, with anticipation, living our lives according to, to these words. Now, my parents played Santa's arrival to the hilt growing up. Uh, my mom celebrated her 90th birthday, so last week I went over and talked to her, and uh, she shared with us those uh, Christmas Eves when they would wrap the gifts after all the kids were in bed and have it all ready Christmas morning, and, and those were special, special times in my family. But they used Santa's arrival to the hilt, so we would track him on Christmas Eve as he got closer and closer, and we didn't want to be on the naughty list we wanted to be on the nice list, so they got their money's worth out of that one for sure. Now, then Christmas morning happened. We would dash to the trees. The presents were unwrapped, and it was back to the same old, same old pretty quick. Boom. What happened there? What happened there? Likewise, as adults, all too quickly, uh, the decorations come down, the bills come in, and we are left empty, numb, lonely, sad, fearful, worried, can we keep Christmas in our hearts, this idea of God coming for us year-round? Can we do this? If so, how do we do this? Well, Peter unlocks some truth for us. Peter says to continually, that's a present active verb in the original language, so it's something to be done continually. He says, look forward three times in the NIV translation, verses 12 through 14. Three times he uses the word looking forward. Looking forward. Continually looking forward. Prostageo is the original word to wait expectantly, to anticipate, to be on the lookout for. We are looking for this. We are waiting for this. We want this to happen. Wow. Now, as a follower of Jesus, the reality of the nearness of Christ's return should overshadow the crud of Christmas. And there's a lot of crud with Christmas. Wouldn't you agree with that? 
There's a lot of crud that comes with that, especially Christmas past in our lives. But the truth is, Jesus is coming, and the babe of Bethlehem returns as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now, the stable, the shepherds, the animals, the magi, all yield to a heavenly host mounted on white chargers led by none other than King Jesus. He's coming with his army, and his return will be as sudden, as unexpected as a nighttime burglar. So he says, be ready, be watching. So what does that mean exactly? Well, no one knows the day or the hour. No one knows. Now, many claim to know, and I have lived through decades of evangelical church and understand uh, this prophet and this person that has all the secrets unlocked and predicting is coming and it comes and goes and he still hasn't come. Hmm. But I remind us, no one got the details of his first coming right. And I got a sneaking suspicion not too many have this second coming right either. It's so easy to slip into the mindset that this old world is just going to keep on spinning, just keep on happening. Tomorrow will be like today, world without end. Amen. No. Peter reminds us, the clock is running. He reminds us the king is coming. He reminds us the world is going up in smoke. He reminds us that New Jerusalem is really the home of those who claim to follow God. So what are we supposed to do in the meantime? Are we supposed to become some of these uh, weird doomsday prepper kind of people? Since we know the apocalypse is at hand, how are we supposed to handle all this? Again, uh, Peter's truth, I think, is profound. He says, number one, holy living. What does the word holy mean? Yes, separate. That's the idea, to separate. And we know that God is holy. And in fact, if we read the creation account, uh, we know that God separated everything. He separated night and day, this and that, right? He's been separating things. And he says, be holy because I am holy, right? And so Peter says this, separate from the world live for him. He says, live holy and godly lives in verse 11. In verse 14, he says, live pure and blameless lives. Now, would that describe your life right now? This isn't uh, shame or guilt time, not at all. But would that characterize our hearts? Holy and godly, pure and blameless. Now, if you're like me, you're going to start beating yourself up pretty fast. And say, ooh, ooh, I fall short. But the, the issue is, where's my heart going? Is that the, the life that I desire to live? To be holy and blameless? To be pure and unstained? Is that the desire of my heart? Yes, yes. We should say a hearty yes to that. Now, this hope in our heart then produces a difference, a holiness, a separateness in the way that we live our lives. What are we supposed to be separate from, by the way? Okay, from the world, that which is defiled. You're way too Christianese for me, right? Okay, so let's back it up. Practically, your answers are correct. They're correct, right? But let's let's put this in, in words that we use. Values and priorities are to be separate from whom? Those of, those, those of the world. 
those are the who's the world? I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world, right? I am in the world. For God so loved the who's the world? Me? You? Everybody? Okay. So the world isn't the bad guys, right? Because we are the world. <laughs> We're supposed to live according to God's word, not man's word. Live according to God's word, not man's word. I like that. I like that. So we've been given a standard, Dan. Anything that is against what God has revealed through Jesus and his word. Right? So, so there's got to be a point which we separate from something. But often the church, and we are guilty of this time and time again, we separate from those things that don't make any difference at all. Right? And you look at it over the years, and all the rules and regulations of, of women not wearing pants, and, and all this stuff that just is so ridiculous. Right? Jesus is a light, and light doesn't condemn. Light just reveals what's actually there. Right? Yeah. How many of you like mold? Let me, let me, let me ask you. I didn't ask if you have mold. I asked if you like it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> what happens to mold when it's exposed to sunlight? Huh? It can't exist there. So... Uh, light, yes. Light exposes what's already there, correct? Good. So I just want to get you thinking about some of this stuff because we gloss over these worlds. What does it mean to live holy and godly lives? Pure and blameless lives. Now, we know that that's not possible or nor practical. Would you agree with that? Is it possible to live 100% pure and 100% blameless all the time? I suppose theoretically it's possible. Has it ever happened? One time. What was his name? Who? Oh, yeah, yeah. But he said, this is the way that I want you to live. Separate. Be in the world. Don't be of it. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Right? Right? And so that's what Peter is saying here. Now, this hope in our heart produces then a separateness in the way we live. Here's what John said in 1 John 3. All who have this eager expectation, that is of Jesus coming, will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. Sounds exactly like Peter wrote, be holy because I am holy, quoting Leviticus, right? If we have this expectation in us, that in fact, this eager expectation that Jesus is again going to come, He is going to walk on this earth, He will be the King, we will see Him, then it's going to change the way that we live our lives. Right? And it's not against them, it's against this war in our souls that has us chained. You experience freedom from the chains. How many of you experience freedom from chains that bound you? Might have happened this week, right? And it happens again and again and again. It's not one time when we bend the knee and ask Jesus into our heart, right? Which is a wonderful start, but that's not the ultimate. What we're saying is I want to live for him as my Lord. And so, it's not easy. 
Peter goes on to say, make every effort. That's an interesting word in the original language. Spudazzo, it means to do one's best, to spare no effort, to work hard. Work hard. Now, please understand what Peter is saying. You see, I'm not working for my salvation in God's approval. I'm working out my salvation. And when Christ has come into me, it's not my holiness. It's not my purity. It's not my blamelessness. It's His that's active in me. And I surrender to Him. And then it's His life coming out of me. Not me striving to be like that, but by me surrendering so that He might be in total control. Big, big difference. And some of us, oh, I got to clean up my act. I got to get better. I got to try harder. I got to do more, right? And we're constantly saying, I got to pull myself up by my bootstraps because that's the American way. And I can beat this thing. It beats you until he set you free because he found the truth. And that always sets us free, right? So here we go. How, how do I do this? It comes in my life through daily surrender. I have to surrender constantly. Not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. I have to surrender. I can't do this. I can't live like this. I don't even know if I want to live like this. But when I surrender to you, then I have your heart. And then I can have your victory. It comes through keeping a clean slate between God and me. In others and me. How you doing? How you doing? Slate clean between God and you? And he waits with open arms right now and says, I'll receive you. Just come. Just come to me. Just come. Right? How about between you and others? Slate clean? We just come through Christmas. A lot of family stuff, right? Like, oh, no, 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 no. No, no, no. Right? And it comes through close communion with him through prayer it's a priority and this connection this consistent connection with God turns my attention our attention from our circumstances which just grab us and pull us into them and allows us to gaze beyond them to see what God can do because he loves you he's not condemning you he's for you And I hope you found that love, that incredible love, free from expectation. And just know that love. Peter says, secondly, we want to be forward-looking. Again, we mentioned three times used in verses 12 through 14. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what's ahead, we press on. And that means if we're going to press on, we've got to let go of what's come. We've got to stop listening to the voice of Christmas past. And all that condemnation that comes with that voice. And begin focusing on, on what's to happen. Being forward-looking. And one of my favorite ornaments on our tree, our Christmas tree, is a nail. And my granddaughters are here. And they have seen the nail. And invariably, my grandkids have all asked, Papa, what's the nail doing on the Christmas tree? And you know the answer to that, don't you? Because it didn't end in Bethlehem. It ended at the empty tomb. But between there, (laughs) those two points, 
was a thing called the cross. And Jesus paid it all for me. And so on our Christmas tree, very prominently displayed is a very large nail just to remind me and my family what this is all about. And it's about Jesus, isn't it? It's about Jesus. And so God is giving us a new year filled with opportunity. Sure. How should we live? Like 22 is the year. Could he come this year? Wow. What time is it? It's game time. Time to wake up. Time to look around. Time to live like we mean business with God. What if it were today? Would our head be hung? Or would our arms be wide open? How would we receive Jesus if this were the moment, if this were the day, if this were the month of his return? How would it look? Are we ready? Are we waiting? Let me ask, are you at peace with God right now? I didn't say, is your life peaceful? I asked you a very different question. Are you at peace with God? That's the gift he desires to give each of us. Peace between God and man through Jesus Christ. Peace. You can say peace on the earth. That's never going to happen. Because you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. There will be earthquakes and famines in various places. But don't be fooled. These are just the beginning of birth pangs. In the world you will have many tribulations, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. It's not without many tribulations that you enter the kingdom of God. Paul said. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm asking, are you at peace with God? Is it well with your soul? Today? Right now? It can be. It can be. Are we ready for the coming of the King? Now we spent lots of time, we spent lots of money getting ready for Christmas. And I'm wondering about the time spent in my own soul getting ready for Christ's return. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. I can keep the message of Christmas in my heart. I can do that. When I realize Jesus may be coming, it may be today. And if you've received an email form from me in the month of December, you'll see that I sign off. Joy to the world, the Lord is coming. Joy to the world, the Lord is coming. Joy to the world. How many of you like that song, Joy to the World? You know, it's not a Christmas carol. You wear that? It's written by Isaac Watts, who took a bar tune, a secular tune, put lyrics to it, but the lyrics say nothing about the birth of Jesus. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. But you know what he's talking about? He's talking about the millennial reign of Christ. When all the nations are at peace. Look at the lyrics again to that. We sing it as a Christmas song. It's not. I mean, sure, it fits. It's great, great words in there. But it has to do with the return of Jesus. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. He's talking about Jesus' return. Second time. Huh. Joy to the world. The Lord is coming. That's why I put in my emails, right? Because that's the truth. Lastly, 
intentional doing. Not only do we participate and anticipate the day of the Lord, we actually hurry it along, Peter says. These are profound words. Depending on your translation, it might say we actually speed the coming of the day of the Lord. Now, waiting and watching, as we've been learning about anticipation, is a call to action. It's a call to action. We just don't sit on our hands. We're actually doing something. Here's what Jesus said. This whole, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Then the end will come. He's given us the parameters of his return. When the gospel of the kingdom is preached to all nations, then the end will come. The church, that's us, that's you, that's me, actually speeds the day, hastens the day of Jesus' coming as we fulfill what we call the Great Commission to go into all the world. All of us, each of us, together. Someone in the world, somewhere in the world, someone in the world will say, I now follow Jesus. That will be it. It's a predestined, predetermined time by the Father. It's over. There's no more chance. And the King will come once again. I don't know when that person will bend the knee to Jesus. Could be today. Could be this year, right? But once again, the fullness of time will come and Jesus Christ will step into time and space and take his rightful place as the King of Kings. Hallelujah, Al, right? There we go. Okay. Our anticipation then turns to participation because we as the church actually speed the day of Jesus' coming. Think about that. We participate in this divine drama of reaching into all the world, doing His mission. And as we each do our part, we're hastening the day. We're speeding it along. Now I wonder... Who in your circle of influence needs Jesus? Who is God laying on your heart right now? Could that be the person? The final person when the Lord says, that's it? That's it? It's done? It's over? Who is the Lord laying on your heart right now that needs to know this incredible love, this incredible gift from God? Maybe this person's in your family. But the Holy Spirit's putting his finger right on your heart right now. This is the person that needs Jesus. What will we do? Will we anticipate? Will we participate? Because God wants that person saved. God wants that person in heaven with him. What will we do? What will we do? What will we do? And so as we think about this, in just a few weeks, we're moving from here to our new meeting place. Coming right along. Coming right along. It's exciting. However, there will be a subtle temptation facing us. It's a temptation to settle. Now that we've arrived in our new facility, it's a notion that we're here. It's seductive. It's deadly. Won't happen. How can we keep it from happening? Live each day like this is the day. God has put us here on mission in order to reach out, and we're going to stay on that focus until the king returns. That's the idea. Paul wrote to young Pastor Titus, we should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God while we look forward, same word that Peter used, same exact Greek word, while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will be revealed. Wow! Come quickly, Lord Jesus. 
Come, Lord Jesus. We are on the verge of a new year. We are on the edge, anticipating. Life's going to look different a year from now. It will. But God remains the same. We participate in bringing back the king. How is Jesus inviting you right now into his glorious plan to reach your family, your workplace, your school, your neighborhood? He's inviting us. It's his mission. And we speed the day of Christ's return. Wow. 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 What will we do, church? What will we do with that person God is laying on our hearts right now? It's a time for action. Let's bring back the king. I can't wait. Who knows? Maybe next Christmas I'll be there. Right, Mary? Your dad worshiping in heaven this morning. Different kind of Christmas, right? Tough. Tough but joyous.